Welcome, Undertow listeners. This is episode number 32 of the Undertow podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to the crime comics of Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips. This is Robert Watson here in Columbia, Missouri, flying solo this evening. I've had a couple of big projects on my plate over the last month or so, so really haven't had the bandwidth to get together um, a full-blown episode, but I did want to jump on and record kind of a quick catch-up episode on Criminal Number 4 in preparation for this week's release of Criminal Number 5. Um, so again, this is episode 32. We're talking Criminal Number 4, which centers around Ricky Lawless, of course the Lawless family that we're now quite used to throughout the criminal universe. Uh, as always, you can find our episodes at undertow.podbean.com or on iTunes. Reach out to us on Twitter at Undertow Podcast or send us an email, undertowpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, there's been a, quite a fair amount of news items that have popped up since our last episode, so I wanted to touch on some of those here up front. Um, Ed Brubaker has sent out a couple of newsletters that were full of interesting items, so I wanted to kind of highlight a couple of those. Um, Of course, like I said, issue five comes out the first week of June, just a couple of days from now, and is the beginning of a long arc called Cruel Summer, which tells the story of how Teague Lawless died in the summer of 88, a story that was alluded to in the very first criminal book, Coward, Um, Again, this was originally called Summer of 88 in the Solicits, but apparently the name has been changed to Cruel Summer. And then another interesting item that we've now found out a little bit more about, we touched on in our last episode, but Bad Weekend, the director's cut, is uh, coming to comic shops on July 10th. Um, So that represents criminal number two and three, but it's been expanded into a full-blown graphic novel called Bad Weekend. And Ed Brubaker in his newsletter kind of talked about how this book came about, and how this uh, new hardback version came about. He said Eric Stevenson, their publisher, called him up saying he wanted wanted them to release Bad Weekend as a hardback in the same format as My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. He felt it deserved to stand on its own, that there were a lot of readers who had missed it that would want a copy because of what it was saying about the comics industry, and there was just enough time to get it on the schedule for convention season even. So the team did a bunch of brand new pages for this version. Um, Ed said, while Sean and Jake were also doing issues four and five of Criminal, and in a few places he rewrote narration or changed a scene to add dialogue. The story is about 20% longer now, the same length as Junkies. Um, And also interesting, coming along with uh, Bad Weekend is a signed book plate, uh, signed by all three members of the team, Ed Brubaker and then both Sean and Jacob Phillips. Um, Brubaker said, Sean and Jake spent a week in the L.A. area with me recently, something that rarely happens, and we spent a lot of time signing thousands of these. They're meant to be affixed to the inside of the end papers. They're on high-end sticker paper. So check with your local comic shop to see if those are available, because that would obviously be uh, just icing on the cake with the, uh, the release of Bad Weekend this summer. And as Ed alluded to also, yeah, the entire criminal team was together and made several appearances on the West Coast a few weekends ago. Um, I obviously would have loved to have attended one of these events, but I'm landlocked here in the Midwest, so I'll have to hopefully catch up with the criminal team at a future event. Um, Having both Ed and Sean together in the same place is very rare. I think it had been like five years or something since they had last done a physical appearance together. Also on the news front, uh, Too Old to Die Young, the uh, new TV show from Ed Brubaker and Nicholas Winding Refn, is set to premiere on Amazon June 14th. So that's uh, we're just a, you know about a week and a half away from that as well. 
Brubaker was describing the series and said, it's almost like a series of interlinked pulp art films with the same characters and overlapping stories and themes. There's a lot happening there that is buried in layers of subtext, and it doesn't hold your hand, and at times it probably wants to piss you off, even, or provoke you. It's hypnotic and surreal. And Refn is screening episodes four and five uh, at the Cannes Film Festival under the subtitle, North of Hollywood, West of Hell. So, Too Old to Die Young, coming soon on Amazon. And then the last piece of news that I think is even, is uh, the most interesting piece of news that has happened since uh, our last episode is the uh, digital comics publication called Panel by Panel's most recent issue, which is issue number 23, uh, features a lengthy interview with Ed, Sean, and Jacob Phillips. And basically, it's like a 100-page digital publication, and I think well over uh, half the pages are dedicated to some facet um, of the Brubaker and Phillips universe. The editor of the publication, and, and I will mispronounce his name, so I will just refer to him as Hassan O.E., which is what he goes by on Twitter, um, put this thing together. Uh, again, there's uh, criminal art on the cover. There's feature articles on My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, Last of the Innocent, and much, much more. So highly recommend that you check out Panel by Panel's most recent issue. I got a digital copy. Um, it's you know very reasonably priced at two fifty, and there's a lot of material there. Um, I'm still working my way through it. I've I've looked at all of the Brubaker and Phillips uh, material, but definitely want to spend some more time with it. There's some there's some really really nice work there from various journalists. Um, just a couple uh, of highlights that I pulled from um, from the issue. Uh, Sean Phillips was talking uh, in his interview and said he does most of his drawing in the inks. He pencils a page in about an hour, and then it takes him around four hours to ink it. So that was an interesting kind of breakdown of his process that I hadn't heard in those exact terms. Um, he also mentioned that he uses photo reference for every main character. He said, I use it uh, I use it for every main character, all based on photos of me cavorting in front of a camera on a self-timer. I use it mostly for the subtlety that you only get from looking at real people. There are also lots of process pages showing each stage of the artwork and then a few pages of Ed's scripts and how they got translated to the final comic. Um, so fans of Brubaker and Phillips will be all about this this panel-by-panel panel issue. Uh, there's an essay on kind of the family element in the criminal universe by Scott Cedarland, um, and I thought he had an interesting breakdown. He said, but in criminal, it means that family devours you, defines you, never lets you go, no matter how much you struggle against it. Run away to the army like Tracy, lawless, and you'll still be back, getting into the same situations your old man did. No one has to be the person their parents were, but the comic tells us if they get to you early, your chances don't look good. Jake, Sebastian, Teague, Tracy, Ricky, and even Ellie, these are all the sons and daughters of criminals. Criminality isn't a decision in this series, it's practically DNA, passed down from parent to child. And then uh, there's another article on the criminal world by Ollie Masters, uh, and he said, They're not just settings for the characters to move in as their stories unfold, but are living, breathing places that feel like they continue to exist when the comic book ends. Places that you step into every time you open up those pages. Locations that you mentally visit, not read about. Um, so obviously these are all things that, that Bubba and I have touched on in the podcast, but I thought they were put quite elo eloquently um, in this issue of Panel by Panel. So again, yeah, I highly recommend um, checking out the latest issue of Panel by Panel. It's a digital publication, and you can you can find out more information. Uh, I think I saw the link on Twitter, and the editor is Hassan O.E. on Twitter. Okay, we'll go ahead and dive into 
uh, issue number four, criminal number four, which is kind of the, the main focus. Like I said, I wanted to just kind of talk through that issue in preparation for uh, issue number five, which is going to kick off an extended arc. But this is a standalone issue focused on Ricky Lawless. Um, again, we'll throw out the spoiler warning. Obviously, we're going to dive into the issue um, in very deep detail, so you should definitely read it before listening to the podcast. Uh, in my opinion, this issue definitely feels more similar to the standard criminal formula than than the last two issues that made up the Bad Weekend arc, which I thought were were somewhat new territory for the criminal world. But this felt very, um, you know, in very familiar territory. Uh, this this story is entitled Orphans, and like I said, it's it's featuring Ricky Lawless, who is a character that has obviously been alluded to a lot throughout the various criminal books, but we haven't seen a lot of you know actual focus on that character because he you know, is deceased in much of the uh, in much of the criminal books. But this was centered around Ricky Lawless. It's set in March 1993. Uh, the book opens with Ricky high on crystal meth. He's been awake. He mentions that he's been awake for five days, and he's meeting a guy named Finn in an old body shop. Um, we see a sign outside this dilapidated body shop called Manny's Auto Body. Uh, Finn mentions that he had been locked up in San Marcos. In his drugged-out state, Ricky, you know, keeps hallucinating and seeing this ghost figure moving about the room. Um, so at first, it, there's just some subtle mentions of this, you know, he's seeing things in, in his periphery, um, and then it plays a bigger and bigger part as you get through the issue. But Ricky abruptly grabs a baseball bat, hits Finn over the head, and restrains and handcuffs him in the body shop. So this is kind of all in the opening scene. Then Ricky drives to his ex-girlfriend's house, uh, this is Jen, who was in a in the very early arc of Criminal Coward, uh, genuine Jenny Waters. You know, if you go back and look all the way into that original Criminal arc, uh, Jen plays a very small part in that book. So we know Jen later becomes a cop, um, and Ricky is asking Jen to take him to Leo. Also, that's Leo Patterson, also featured in the very first arc of Criminal Coward. And then we get again that classic shot and framing. Um, of Ricky and Jen descending the stairs into the undertow. So that, again, alludes back to that very first arc of Criminal, and then we've seen it repeatedly you know, throughout the series, this, this returning motif of these criminals going to the undertow, and that same, that same angle, that same shot of the characters going down, downstairs into the bar. And we see Jen talking to Gnarly in the bar, again, a regular occurring character that we, we all know, Gnarly, uh, that bartends at the undertow. And there's a there's a brief two panel flashback shot of Ricky as a ten year old waiting for his dad in the car outside of the undertow. So it takes us back to Ricky as a youth, you know, watching Teague exist in this world that he now exists in. Um, and so we see a shot of a young Teague and another gentleman coming up the stairs out of the bar. And then back in the the present day for the book, Ricky continues to see this ghost figure, and we finally get to see that the figure is is Teague Lawless, Ricky's father. Um, and Ricky says, when you go without sleep too long, you don't just start seeing weird things, you start thinking them too. So Ricky kind of gets up. While he's waiting on Jen, he follows the ghost of Teague into the bathroom, and when Teague turns around and looks at him, half his head is blown off. And I thought that was just a, a really, really powerful image in this this particular issue, is that image in the bathroom of, of Teague looking back over his shoulder and seeing Ricky. And then abruptly the, the character switches and the reader realizes that this scenario was all playing out in Ricky's uh, sleep-deprived and drug-addled brain. And so Ricky then sees that the actual real guy standing in the bathroom 
uh, and then in his current state, quickly starts to physically attack him. And after the fight, Jen and Gnarly find Ricky unconscious on the floor of the bathroom. Jen drives Ricky over to find Leo, who is staying at his uncle's house. And there's this long extended dialogue in this scene where where Jen and Ricky are driving, where Ricky is trying to explain to her the phenomenon that he's been experiencing the last few days of having these visions um, outside the normal realm of perception. He says, what if I'm starting to come unstuck like the guy in Slaughterhouse-Five? So, you know, Ricky is apparently a pretty well-read criminal and kind of goes into full Jim Morrison mode during this soliloquy about these visions that he's having. And we, we just see Ricky fading in and out of consciousness a lot consciousness a lot in this issue uh when we finally do get to you know a youthful looking leo finally shows up he has to wake ricky up as well ricky is on his porch waiting for him to get back so so jen has taken uh ricky over to leo's house leo then you know wakes him up he's unconscious on his porch and then the next page is you know is important as to what i'm sure we're going to find out about teague's death you know they're, they're definitely leading into this next arc because it's it's mentioned pretty explicitly um, Teague's death is mentioned pretty explicitly in this issue. So again, yeah, it's it's revealed that it's been two years since Ricky and Leo have have had some sort of falling out. Um, the 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 narration says there was too much damage between them and too much blame to spread around for it, but most of it fell on Ricky. Uh, Ricky nonchalantly informs Leo that he has one of the guys that killed Leo's dad chained up across town. Um, so this is the uh, the gentleman that we saw in the opening scene that Ricky hit over the head in the body shop with the baseball bat. So he takes Leo back to this to confront this man, and once they arrive, they realize the guy has already died from his previous wounds while tied up. Um, Leo asks how he knew that he was one of the guys that killed his dad, and Ricky responds, Hyde sold me his name. Uh, so obviously he's referring to Sebastian Hyde. Ricky asks Leo to help him clean up the body, and Leo responds harshly that he's done helping Ricky clean up his messes. Uh, This is obviously alluding to Teague's death as well. Ricky's internal thoughts confirm this. He says, He remembers the night his father died. He remembers how Teague's blood was everywhere, on Ricky's face, in his hair, all over Leo's clothes. It took so long for them to clean off all the blood. And again, this is almost the... this, This alludes back to this kind of hanging mystery that's existed in the criminal universe the whole time, this death of Teague Lawless. Um, and so this is kind of the most detail that we've seen explicitly mentioned. And, and again, um, obviously leading us into this next arc that's actually going to show these events transpiring. And then the issue just ends with this great full-page frame of Ricky looking off in the distance, blood-soaked shirt, holding a lit cigarette with the dead body behind him. Um, which is the only splash page in the whole issue is this final is this final frame, and the caption just says it's going to be another long day. Uh, so this is a very condensed story. I, I think it just takes place over you know twenty four hours or so um, in the life of Ricky Lawless, and yeah, he's definitely looking worse for the wear. Um, he's been in multiple fights, and he's you know he's been awake for five days um, on crystal meth and. You know, it really it, it gives us some perspective on who he is in March 1993, um, who Ricky Lawless is at this given time. And I went through and looked up a, a few reviews about the issue. Um, the site Adventures in Poor Taste um, wasn't overly positive in their review. They thought the issue's hyper-focus was exhausting and that there was too much information needed from the readers on previous criminal arcs. Um, They said, while it has a lot going for it, issue number four comes across like a sliver of an overhanging legacy. 
The site Major Spoilers was definitely more complimentary and gave the issue an 83% rating. Um, they were describing Sean Phillips' rendition of Ricky at the beginning of the issue, and they said, uh, a man adrift in a world he can't quite grasp, his ha- face half-eaten by shadow, which I thought was a good description of, of Sean Phillips' rendition of Ricky. And the site Monkeys Fighting Robots gave, it, gave the issue a 4.6 rating. Um, they said, Brubaker uses the first-person narration to get us into Ricky's drug-addled brain, and it works beautifully. Writing drug trips and druggy narration can easily fall into cliché and stereotype, but Brubaker avoids that by being subtle and by how well he knows how to write Ricky as a character by now. It's also that love for the character that makes us care for him, despite what a piece of shit he usually is. And then in the, the back matter, in Brubaker's column at the end of the issue, he refers to it as Our Night with Ricky Lawless. Um, mentions that the next issue they are finally going to tell the story of Teague Lawless's death and what he describes as the ultimate criminal story. Um, so yeah, big things are coming in the in the in the criminal world over the next several issues that make up this cruel summer arc. Um, and yeah, the 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 cover for Criminal Number Five, which is teased in the back of Number Four, man, is really really something. Um, and the, the description of the book says, Dan Faraday, private detective and skip tracer, comes to town looking for a dangerous woman. The issue begins the long and winding tale of the summer of 88, the story of the last days of Teague Lawless. Uh, and again, it's now called Cruel Summer, but yeah, should be really exciting. And that book is out this Wednesday. And so yeah, that was kind of the notes that I, that I jotted down about Criminal Number 4, uh, This Night in the Life of Ricky Lawless. Um, and yeah, I think it sets up, you know, it's a perfect setup to this, this big reveal that we've, you know, been wondering about for so long, ever since that first arc of Criminal, the, the death of, the death of Teague Lawless and how that came about and how all of these characters play into it that we've, that we've grown to know. Um, so yeah, we're, we're quite excited to see what happens. And again, just wanted to kind of get a quick episode out there, get all of you prepped for Criminal Number 5. And since the story was was set in March of 1993, I was kind of combing through my albums here and thought I would leave you with a song that uh, got a lot of spins back in 93 from me. Um, I was uh, 10 years old, and this was something that was uh, definitely on my on my playlist. So we appreciate you listening, and uh, we will see you soon to talk Criminal Number 5. Thanks, folks. <laughs> It was a beating